Welcome to the Working with India podcast, conversations to help cross-cultural managers deepen their understanding of India, produced by learningindia.in. Today's episode features Arjun Bakshi. Arjun comes from a Punjabi family business, but is now a communication consultant and educator in the San Francisco area. I consider Arjun a true expert in the field of Indian business culture because he's not only studied it, but he's lived it as well. Arjun's insights will make you want to know more about what family businesses are like in India and how you can work better with them. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the Working with India podcast. Uh, we have a special guest today on our show. This is uh, Arjun Bukshi. Uh, he's joining us from San Francisco area. How are you today, Arjun? Uh, hi there, Neil. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm well. Very good, very good. Uh, I was excited to, to talk with you because you and I have uh, a lot of similar passions together. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Likewise, likewise. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Arjun, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, who are you? Where are you from? Sure. So uh, my connection to India is I was born and raised there. I grew up in northern India and I went to business school in Delhi University's Sri Ram College of Commerce. And then subsequently in my life, I came over to the U.S., which is where I'm based now in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I have a master's in communication. And so what I do now is I am a communication consultant, uh, mostly on diversity and cultural training issues. And also I am a educator. I teach at San Jose State University. I do some uh, training in public speaking and also in other communicative uh, acts. So this is what I do a lot of. And, and I, I love speaking about India in particular. That's kind of what got me into talking about culture. So thanks for having me. I would love to share some thoughts today. Yeah, no, this is this is gonna be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you're the first uh, person I've had that was born in India and is now in the, the U.S. and hasn't come back yet. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really That's interested to, to pick your brain about about a few things. Sure. Um, so uh, tell tell a little bit about uh, the type of family you came from in India. Uh, a little bit about your background there. Sure. So I came from uh, a Punjabi family, and now. India, modern India, as, as some of us know, is a very young country. 1947 is when the British uh, left India, and 1948 it was partitioned into India and what is now Pakistan. So my family, my grandfather, my father's father, he came over from what is now Pakistan to, to India. And we are Hindus, so that, that's why that had to happen, coming over from the Muslim Pakistan to the dominantly Hindu India. And so he came with nothing but the clothes on his back. And so, like many with him, he had to sort of start from scratch, do odd jobs, take government contracts, and slowly work his way up and, you know, establish a family business, which at that time was contracting. So constructing roads, uh, a few small buildings in the local area, things like that. And and so he passed that on. And then my, my father, his son, took over the business and they moved it into brick creation. So creating, because a lot of houses in India are made of bricks, so naturally houses and buildings all together. So brick creation in a quickly developing economy was a good business at the time. We morphed it now and now it's mostly financials. And so that's the business that I grew up with as uh, my father's son. Uh, you know, we're talking stocks and bonds, we're talking uh, mutual funds, we're talking, you know, a little bit of real estate. And so that is the probably the area of business that I'm most familiar with, you know, helping out with the family, but also interacting with customers, stakeholders, and other people in similar businesses in the city. 
And so now here I am, completely separated from the entire family business. So yeah. That's a little bit of background, yeah. So uh, now I've always heard, you know, Punjabis tend to be more entrepreneurial than maybe even other Indians. Do you think that that's the case in your family as well? You know, I think uh, you, you made, uh, I love reading your blog, by the way. And so you made a very good point in there about you want to generalize without stereotyping. So you don't want to box people in. Right. But in, in India, generalizations can be a useful, you know, compass to get to know people. And you're absolutely yeah. right. That that definitely Punjabis have this reputation for being more adventurous and so entrepreneurial, and so yeah, uh, that that does hold true for a lot of people that I know. Again, not to limit anyone, mm -hmm. but yes, that does seem to be a trend. Nice. So uh, now, a lot of what you talk about and study and teach is is kind of centered on this idea of of family businesses in India. Is that correct? That's true. It's, it's something I've really gotten into uh, in the last year or so, just express, not just knowing it as something I grew up with, but something that I could academically speak about. That's that's really caught, caught on for me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about what you've learned, you know, both from your studies and from your experience. Sure. So what was always tricky and interesting was that it didn't matter if you were incorporated. So in India, the, in, in the U.S., we call it limited liability company. In India, the, the equivalent is the private limited company. So owned by a small group of people, no, no public shareholding. And so even if you were incorporated for tax and liability reasons, but if you were run by the same family, a family business has a particular patriarchal paternal structure that has its roots in what I've learned is a more traditional format predating the artificial corporation known as the Hindu undivided family. And it is still recognized as a means of uh, carrying out business. Uh, and so the, uh, you, and the Indian government still recognizes it and gives it a special tax code to run it that way. So it's called a Hindu undivided family. Is a Hindu is undivided family. That's yeah. the legal term, right? That is the legal term, H-U-F. And, um, and, I, and I can understand, you know, just the term Hindu undivided family. Well, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that people of other religions can't have that format? And that's uh, interesting because that was challenged in court in the 50s. Uh, I, I found out 56, 61, somewhere around there. And, you know, they, they found that the term Hindu could be a lot more amorphous because when Hindu... The, 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 it was named after the area, so the Hind, the Hindustan, the, uh, you know, it was mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. so much a religion as is a people belonging to a particular area. So Americans, America is not a religion, Americans are people living in America. Right. Similarly, Hindus were people living in Hind. There you go. And so over time, when some commonalities became prevalent in what scriptures they read, what ceremonies they had, it became more of a culture religion. It's still much more amorphous. But so the Supreme Court decided that people of Hindu, Buddhist, Sikh, and Jain religious backgrounds could be accepted under this HUF model. Mm. So that was one thing that was done uh, more recently. And the other tricky thing in there, which I find, you know, which really strikes home with the paternalistic piece is you had to have in the old days at least two 
male members of the same bloodline to establish it. Hmm. And, and it was only through challenging in court cases that widows were given rights and then uh, married and unmarried daughters got rights and so forth. So it was definitely, you know, in keeping with the Indian tradition of sons and fathers and brothers having priority and responsibility in the work. Mm -hmm. So very gendered organization, if, if, if it makes sense. Yeah. Now, now you skipped over one of the major religions of India when you were mentioning them. So how does this apply to, to Muslims um, in their case? Does this also apply to them? So, for, so from all the research I've done, the HUF, Hindu Undivided Family Model, does not apply to Muslims, uh, Christians, uh, Jewish folks, uh, or other such religions, but then those folks would you know, benefit from family business models. So that, that's where, you know, I'm, I'm sort of distinguishing between HUF and family business because family business is catch-all and inclusive, not only of your religion, but also of the incorporation method. But HUF, you know, speaks to a very specific traditional grandfathering uh, from the old into the modern age. And so that is something that I, I, uh, I can't find data on. So I don't really know how prevalent it is. My guess is it's not. My guess is it's limited to, you know, mom and pop stores, to farms and things of that nature. Okay, okay. Well, let's, let's move away a little bit from the legal definitions and tax sure. definitions and, and tell yeah. us just practically speaking, you know, what was it like, you know, growing up in a family business? Um, and especially, you know, once you made that transition to living in the U.S., um, mm -hmm. what, at what point did you realize, wow, this is, this is a totally different way of doing business? Or what were some of those key moments, if you can tell us some stories? Sure. So, for instance, I think, uh, without giving names, uh, some uh, folks that I'm related to, uh, they were part of a larger company and they had heavy manufacturing mm -hmm. as their business. And what you would find was that even though these are grown people, right, we're talking people uh, middle-aged and then, you know, 40s to 60s, and then the, the older generations, so we're talking 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was incredible to me that the folks in their 80s and 90s still held sway over larger decisions of, you know, which brother should be assigned which department or which factory or which uh, cousin should have a larger revenue, you know, source so, so as to show privilege that this person is more important because so then they're getting uh, a larger, more important faction of the company. And so you had this overlapping of family ties and privileges being, you know, uh, overlapping of the family ties with professional responsibilities. It was like, where, where does merit come in here? Mm. You know, so that, that was something that once I came here and, you know, I got more familiar with the regular corporate model. And you had this high, uh, uh, California, for example, is fire at will, you know, hire and fire at will. You don't have to have a reason for firing someone. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, in contrast, if you're in the family, it's very difficult to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, give someone a pink slip. It yeah. has to be something really drastic that forces someone's hand. Wow. So uh, as far as, you know, 
what uh, what has been the outcome of this i think you'll find more and more stories and you and i can talk about some of partitions large family businesses being forced to break up into smaller smaller pieces because people just cannot continue together anymore yeah well why don't you go ahead and share some of the stories that you've researched and you're familiar with sure so for instance i think the ones that uh, folks can Google about a bit is, for instance, the conglomerate Reliance in India, which does a lot of different businesses from telecom to oil to uh, small goods manufacture. And so their father, the father, uh, the founding person was uh, Dhirubhai Ambani. And then he had two sons, Anil Ambani and I'm, I'm missing uh, the, the, the person's name. Mukesh. Uh, Mukesh, thank you so much. Mukesh And so Mukesh was the old brother. Anil was the younger brother. And so they inherited the business from the father. But somewhere along the line, around a decade ago, uh, they had irreconcilable differences. People, and this is where, you know, gossip overtakes reality. So no one really knows what instigated the the breakup. And some people blame the wives. Some people blame, you know, the brothers' differing ambitions themselves. Some people say one was more ambitious, the other one was more careful and studied and and more crunching numbers types. We don't really know. This yeah. is just immediate reporting. And, and and just so everyone knows that's listening too, I mean, this these are huge celebrities in India. Like, everyone knows the Ambani. So when, when this yeah. is going on, everyone's in touch with, with, with the storyline, right? You're absolutely right. And so, for instance, I believe uh, one of the brothers married a former Bollywood actress. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, the other claim to fame more recently that people may have read in the U.S. is the largest, what is it, 10-story building that uh, the most luxurious. Yeah, I think it's more yeah, than that. I think it's like 20 stories. More than that, 20 stories. It's an incredible structure, and it's largely the home of the older brother, Mukesh Ambani. And so, you know, this is a very influential family. And so it was so strange that the mother of the two brothers, the widow of the of the founder, had to come in and be the arbiter arbiter of how should this company now be divided, which portions should go to this brother and which portions should go to that brother. And so that's what, you know, I put in one of my blogs. Where does the professional and become personal, and how does the personal become professional? It's like you can't divide the two in a family business. Mm. Wow. So, so let's put um, you know our listeners, people who like to do business with India, people who are are getting started with that. Let's say that someone's wanting to interact, you know, maybe not with the big conglomerates, but with you know a simple family-run business. They see it as a a great asset for them. It's going to be a, a good relationship. What are some of the major issues that people are going to come across when it comes to a, a typical, just take an American mindset, interacting with one of these um, family businesses in India? Sure, absolutely. And similar to what I've blogged about, so we talked about how it's a paternalistic model. Mm-hmm. What always goes with the paternalistic model is a strong chain of command and a powerful, very vertical hierarchy. So, you know, the the, the part of what I mentioned earlier about male members having more power that still holds true, although it's not as hard and fast. So what happens then is roughly in terms of age, older person having more power, younger mm-hmm. folks having lesser and lesser power to a point. And so what can sometimes happen for a newcomer, they see, oh, you are such and such 
manager, marketing manager or outreach manager. They go by the title. Mm-hmm. And, and so the first thing I would say to them is investigate the hierarchy because the hierarchy may be very different uh, from what is the official designation of a person mm-hmm. to whom is actually a power broker. Hmm. And so many a times, this is where the personal part comes in. Let's say, for instance, there's three sons, father founded the business. Mm-hmm. The, young, the youngest son will perhaps have the weakest of three titles, right? Mm-hmm. Good title, but weakest of the three. But because he's the youngest, perhaps he has a special bond with the father, who may be the managing director. And so when you are making a business relationship, you have to think, this is the second part, uh, with the hierarchy, the second thing comes in, you have to think long-term. It's a relationship first, business second. Hmm. And okay. so you have so through that father son connection, perhaps you could get an audience with the big man himself, so to speak, and actually have a no holds barred discussion, one where you're not shut out by protocol, one where you're not limited by what are the rules on paper, but you can have to have an honest discussion of what you're bringing to the table and how that family can benefit themselves as well as yourself. Wow. So, so you're talking like. Even someone who's, you know, into their 40s or 50s or so and has been with the company since it was, you know, since they were born, they grew up in it, mm-hmm. they have some very elite sounding director title or something like that. They still are going to be checking with, with dad or with even, you know, an uncle or something like that on major decisions. They're not going to take them on their own. Kind of. And, and again, this is general, not <laughs> yeah, Of course, of but, course. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. And, and there's two reasons that from what I've seen. First reason is, you know, because so much of business in India is based on contacts and networking, people you've known all your life, right? Especially like earlier in the conversation, you know, you know, it's a young country. So many people immigrated from what is now Pakistan. So they've not been, you know, in the same city for even a hundred years together mm-hmm. as a family. And so what happens is that you inherit your contacts. I'm talking your CPA, I'm talking your, uh, so your, your tax guy, your accounting guy, your uh, suppliers, if you're a manufacturer, your customers, if you're a manufacturer. And, mm-hmm. you know, because those people, you know, were inherited to you, they'll always see you as the son mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. grandson. And that is something so crazy. It, it sometimes annoys me, but I have accepted it, <laughs> that in India, when if someone saw you growing up as a kid, you'll always be a kid to that extent. Huh. They'll wow. be proud of you. They'll be very proud of you and they'll give you credit for your success. But they'll never let you forget that they're older than you, so you should know your place in the ladder, in the circle of life. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And in the second piece to why it is such is because... Uh, folks uh, never let go of the keys, the symbolic keys, right? <laughs> and so, so even if you go to a teeny tiny equivalent of Seven Eleven in India, okay, if you go to uh-huh. a general store, you buy your groceries, you'll always see that the oldest person is the one that is taking your money and giving you your change, right? And they over here in the U.S., you know, uh, at least where I am in the U.S., you know, the cashier is like the lowest of the low, <laughs> right? They're the least powerful person. Right. But in India, the, the person handling the money is usually the most powerful person because they simply don't trust anybody else. Huh, wow. 
Yeah. So that's a couple of reasons why, you know, the 40-year-old VP might have to check in with that. Yeah, um, no, no. I see that even, in, you know, with the, the place where we get our groceries is just like that. You know, you, you go through the the store clerk or whatever is going to check you out and ring up the bill, but they don't handle any money. They just give it give you the slip. You go to the, the desk where the the senior man is sitting there and he takes yeah. care of all the finances. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I don't know if you have time for a quick story. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, of this course. Is, so the, the, uh, you've seen the Indian soap operas, right? The Hindi language soap operas. And so... These are huge. These, these have the highest TV ratings in the whole country. Mm-hmm. And, and so one family that, you know, produced a whole string of hits, the, uh, the K, the, the ones that start with K, most of those, <laughs> <laughs> which became a, a, a superstitious thing for our listeners that, you know, it's got to start with the letter K. It's going to do well. <laughs> and so one of the, te- uh, the families behind that, Balaji Telefilms, they, I read, were a tightly held family business, mother, father, son, and son and daughter, four of them, right? And mm-hmm. so they hit a, a financial crunch. They were having bad numbers, poor ratings. They weren't being able to renew contra- contracts with the TV channels. And so if you're not getting your show on TV, you're not making money. Mm-hmm. And so they actually had to uh, bite the bullet and actually hire a manager that was not from the family. And that was a huge thing for them. That was a huge thing for them. And so, and, and we're talking here, uh, a big family that is on page three, the celebrity pages all over India. Mm-hmm. And and they were so hesitant to hire someone uh, to run the show, quote unquote, and an executive power who was not blood relative. Wow. So it can get really, it can be a really difficult decision for some people. Hmm. Now let, let's put put you in this the shoes of somebody you know from from this side of the world mm-hmm. uh, that that's interacting with this family. They learn about it. What are some things that they might have miscues on, or, or things they should avoid doing? Because you know, uh, especially Americans, we come with this idea that you know everyone should be egalitarian. We should all be right. equal. Um, we don't want to give anyone special treatment. We don't want to receive special treatment. At least it's how our our brain mm-hmm. works. Um, so so what are some what are some ways that we should be careful, or some things we can do proactively that'll help those relationships. Definitely, absolutely. And so uh, in cultural studies, we call this mindful reframing. So what I mean is the frame, like you just so well described, is that uh, the Western mindset of egalitarianism, merit, merit comes first. I will treat you fairly, but, you know, not better than anyone else, not worse than anyone else. Mm-hmm. So that mindset, when you enter India and you uh, are engaging with a slightly more traditional family business, we have to reframe that and be very investigative about what are the class and privilege markers for this group of people. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, a hesitance comes into play. Why should I even do that? Here's why. If you, as the outsider, the person from a different country or culture, you come in and you break the protocol, mm-hmm. it's... At, at worst, you will offend someone, but at least you will put people in a position where they don't have a frame of reference to react to you. Okay, now you said break protocol. Give, give an example. What's, what's a bad thing that could happen? So, for instance, like, uh, let's say a, a slightly more important person in the family, okay? Slightly more important person in the family and uh, who holds sway in the business as well. Supposing they commit an error, 
Mm -hmm. The way in which, if at all, you correct their error mm -hmm. is a perfect example. So over here, we'd be like, hey, Jim, don't, uh, you know, do the software that way. It uh, really messes up our files, something right. very generic like that. But if you're the outsider and you know, this is a, uh, an important person, you have to create a, a bond of love and friendship with them before you have the right to talk directly and, and correct their error. So in, in other words, what, one way that works for me, and feel free to steal it, listeners, is questions. Use questions. So, for instance, I'd say, "Oh, Uncle Raj, I noticed you did it that way. Well, uh, uh, what, what do you think that? Um, how do you feel that uh, makes it work better? Or, you know, you put it, you put it on them, and so they have to sort of explain it. And if they explain it well enough, that they understand that they're, that they're wrong, they're like, oh. And so if you've done the great, the spade work before, you've shaken their hands at the wedding parties, at the inner Indian dinner parties, had a, had a glass of alcoholic beverage with them, if that's your thing. Once you've built that relationship, then you can be like, hey, Uncle Raj, you did it again. And you can make it, make it a bonding mechanism rather than one of keeping people in check, which is, I think, what is our default. We want to keep people yeah. in check. We want to, you know, don't get too big for your britches. You have to, uh, allow people to save face. And this is Pan-Asian. This is not just India. You have to allow people to save face. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell you a quick story um, that I heard about in TED.com with those wonderful videos. So this lady was visiting Japan and she was at a coffee shop and she asked for green tea and she wanted sugar with it. Okay. okay. And so as many of us know, the green drink, green tea, you don't put sugar in green tea. Right? Mm -hmm. But this, this lady liked it like that. She wanted sweet green tea. So the waiter said, one does not put sugar in green tea. He said it once. She said, I know, I get it. I'm doing the wrong thing. But just humor me. I'm paying my, paying my money. You know, have it your way. Mm -hmm. I'm, the, I'm the paying customer. So he went and he, and he says, you know, um, we do not have sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, instead of correcting the person and again and again, the waiter was saying, you know, just don't do it. But doing it in a way that did not make the recipient of the advice look bad. So mm -hmm. that's a long story to explain a simple point that you want to save face for other people, especially people of status, because that's kind of how delicately perched they are. It's mm -hmm. like they're in, in an eggshell on a shelf. <laughs> don't let them fall. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Now there's a there's one topic that uh, that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet in in our our, our uh, podcast that we've been doing, but this idea of you know the famous Indian uh, Jugad. So Jugad, yeah, yeah. Uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about that from from your vantage point and, and how that affects business? Absolutely. So so I, I love this word Jugad. It it's so hard to translate the best you know, phrase I could come up with, the the sitcom that used the T V show that used to come on American television called MacGyver, mm. where he would he would create solutions to problems out of ev uh, evidently ordinary issues and make um, find a way to save the day. Right. right. And so that's essentially what you guard it is finding a way to solve a problem creatively. Now where it gets tricky is many of the time you're dancing on the lines of right and wrong and legal and extra legal. Right. <laughs> but so creative I, becomes a, a very wide term. It's a very wide term. And so 
you know, it could mean, uh, I think my favorite example, again, I can't name the countries because, you know, sure, countries sure. Have, have long standing vendettas with each other. So imagine two countries, and these could be any two countries, that uh, have trade embargoes on each other, right? So they mm-hmm. have trade embargoes. Country A says, I won't sell anything to you and you won't sell anything to me. No go. But the business people in those two countries say, how am I supposed to make a dime here? Mm-hmm. So then they find country C and they say, okay, country A will sell to country C, C will sell to B, and then the, the cycle is completed. So in other words, you find a proxy buyer slash seller. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So that's, that would be uh, just on dancing on the line of legality. That's that you guard because you still want to do business with you know more and more customers, but your governments don't get along, so you feel I have to find another way. Now, of course, a lot of people take this into further gray area, where you know they will openly disregard rules um, of of different organizations, and you know to bleed into another topic that you know is always worth talking about. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> So, you know, and this is where a lot of people linking back to status, you know, and, 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 and don't you know who I am? Name and who you are, how highly ranked you are, and let's be honest, how rich you are, can yeah. get a lot of things waved aside, you know, whether it's rules, whether it's fees, whether you broke the rule and you just expect it to be ignored, mm-hmm. whether you expect a discount at a restaurant when you have no punch card or anything like that, mm-hmm. and and things of that nature. And a lot of this comes from the fact that when India you know, began urbanizing, it was slow. And, you know, you only had 10, 15 families owning all the major businesses. And so mm-hmm. they knew each other. They went to each other's dinner parties. It still happens in a bunch of towns that I go to. So all the major business heads in a given geographical area know each other and are at each other's bridge tables. So this is how name and, and status can be used to you know, like a, like a business card, and and even this is so so amazing is that even banks will waive rules to give you a loan or to give someone a loan on your word hmm. because you are an important person in the town, and so you know why not give this person a break? Mister So and So is speaking for him. Hmm. Hmm. So there you go. Come so 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 just someone's name alone can be a, a powerful force in terms of how how much bend something comes, right? Absolutely, and because think about it, in India the the name is not just you know I am Mr. Smith. It's because in the old days before corporations, you know, you owned said business, some business. It was a farm, a large property, something tangible. Indian folks love tangible wealth. Right, mm-hmm. so large shop or large department store or large piece of property, and so if your name was attached to that, metaphorically, rhetorically, you were a big man, right? Mm-hmm. But that's the, the translation. Paradmi, big man. You were a big man, and so you were never separated from your business. You so, which is a good thing and a bad thing because then if things go wrong and then the cops are on the wrong side of, of your of your of your thing, then you're in deep trouble because then mm. if anything goes wrong with the business, you are personally liable. Right. So it goes both ways. But yes, absolutely um, 
you know, and then of course with inheritance of property and inheritance of family wealth, you know, the name does get passed on. And I always, you know, in India, it's funny, you always wonder, okay, at what point am I going to stop being the son of Mr. So-and-so? <laughs> and at what point will my dad become, this is, this is so-and-so's dad. So, <laughs> so you know when you've arrived, when he becomes your dad, that's <laughs> when you've arrived. And how does that happen? Like you have to move towns or what does it happen? <laughs> <laughs> Feels like that sometimes, you know. Um, maybe it, I, I managed to speed up the process because I moved away, but uh, definitely, you know, I think if you work hard and you start to develop your independent relationships with all your stakeholders, so your financial transaction processors, your accountant, your um, buyers and your sellers, your customers and your suppliers, when you become someone of independent skill and, and knowledge and ability, and you start slowly, slowly succeeding on your own, that's when probably by age of 40, 45, maybe 50, if it's a little slow, you, you tend to become, quote unquote, your own man. Mm -hmm. But it takes time. Yeah. Wow. Now, you, you've given us a, a lot of good tips. You talked about, you know, navigating, understanding the hierarchy. You talked about a little bit about taking the, the long view, you know, making sure you're <laughs> investing in, in the relationship. We've talked about a little bit of how to navigate the the ethical decisions sometimes like that. What Definitely. what are just maybe uh, two more things you can you can give the listeners from their perspective of when they're coming in doing business with a I mean I'll I'll call it a small business a small family business but you and I both know some of these are you know huge corporations absolutely um, that that still run like that. So what are just two more things you can give to us that are good advice? Sure, uh, I would say never discount the power of a social location. Mm -hmm. And so many times, I mean, uh, fans of the movies in the U.S. will remember, um, this is a great example, that in the in the opening of The Godfather, mm -hmm. right, you had Don Vito Carleone, uh, who would give favors on the day of his daughter's wedding. Yeah. Right. So sometimes, uh, and so you can apply that kind of, you know, without the murder and killing and uh, things of that nature. <laughs> but but the point is that the man of uh, of power and stature, on a sentimental occasion such as a wedding, it could be a festival like an Indian holiday, and you go and you give them gifts. People remember what you give them as a gift. So if you're ever visiting India and you've made a personal connection with a professional contact, which I always, uh, uh, you know, suggest personal connection with a pro uh, professional contact, send them gifts, or at least give them a phone call on the holiday occasions, like the, uh, the Holi, the, the Festival of Colors in the spring, and Diwali, the Festival of Lights in the, the autumn. Those two, and perhaps Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, if, if so applies. These, you know, and, and the gifts that you give them, this is the funny thing in Indian culture. They'll always try and give you a gift of equal or similar value in return. Never more, never less. So you want to follow the same protocol. <laughs> Don't try and one-up them. So if they give you a a a hundred dollar gift don't go say no i'll show them i can spend more and that's more love no 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 you never want to spend more on them than they did on you but at mm. the same time this can sometimes between families become a game of you know 
constant reciprocity and it can get very exhausting. So yeah. find your balance, find your balance definitely. But yes, the power of social to um, not just create professional relationships, but to expedite professional backlog, which is, I think, a huge complaint. I think a lot of uh, international people have with Indian business that things can be really slow. And, and mm-hmm. you know, from inception of a deal to the closing of the deal. And so uh, the last thing I'd, I'd mention is always find a sponsor. You okay. have to take the metaphor of in our, our, our U.S. Uh, Congress system, how a bill is introduced. Two people have to sponsor it and sort of have to debate it with other folks, have to argue for it, convince other people to sign on. Slowly, a coalition of the willing is built, and then finally, everybody votes on it. It's Hmm. very similar to that. And then you throw in the fact, uh, as I mentioned earlier, of how like a, a younger son or a daughter who has sentimental connections to the person in the charge can speak on your behalf. Often their spouse is the most convincing uh, person to argue your case if it's Mm -hmm. really stuck and if things are just not going the way they should. Wow. No, that's really good advice. I like, I like talking about the, the social connection too. I think a lot of people would think that, you know, to get things done in India, you have to bribe or you have to give gifts or you have to do things. But it's not really, it's not the gift that's going to get things through. It's, it's the, the gift that builds the relationship and then the relationship gets things through. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, like, like I think I might have thrown in the beginning of the podcast, you know, you're making a business relationship, but it's relationship first, business after. Yeah. Great, great. Well, that's uh, that's really good information. Uh, Arjun, can you give listeners, if they want to know more about uh, uh, Hindu undivided families or, or how family businesses work in India, where else can they go for that information? Sure, absolutely. And, and the good thing is that a lot of people are catching on to this. So a good starting point to just get the primer is the Indian government website, which is business.gov.in. And so mm-hmm. that can be, you know, not just for Hindu undivided family, but also for any other similar business aspects of uh, Indian, um, the Indian economy. You can get a great starter point, which is more re- reliable than Wikipedia. <laughs> and a couple other places that I found useful for the tax aspect, which is important, uh, you can go to this website, uh, taxguru.in, and they have a lot of articles, keep blogging, they keep blogging about how to save tax, uh, not just with the Hindu undefined family, but again, for any business you may end up doing in relation to India. Then one really good one is, uh, you may have heard of the, the firm KPMG, so they have a website KPMG Family Business, all one word, dot com. So KPMG Family Business dot com. And there's a few others. And so at this point, I'll throw in a shameless plug. Feel free to check out my blog. Yeah. Uh, Justasymbol dot com. J U S T A S Y M B O L dot com. And in the recent few weeks, I've blogged a bit about family business and the links I mentioned previously. And many, many others, many other articles you could find very useful are all embedded in there. Feel free to read up. There's a lot of legal information there. No, I would, I would definitely recommend listeners check out, especially those, those latest two blog posts. I don't know if you have more coming up, but those two are, are really good information. We'll make sure those uh, links are in the, the show notes that people can download for this so they can see those as well. Uh, Arjun, so much, any, yeah. yeah any, anywhere else that uh, people can get in touch with you besides the website justassymbol.com? 
Absolutely. So the website and then using the same uh, handle as from my, from my Twitter, just a simple J-U-S-T-A-S-Y-M-B-O-L. Or you can uh, directly email me at Arjun at justasymbol.com. Feel free to chat with me about Indian business in particular or, 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 you know, if you want to talk about family business, that as well. I'm happy to converse with you. And I'm also on LinkedIn.com if you want to add me there. Great. Well, that sounds excellent. This has been a really fun conversation. Uh, so thank you for being on the show and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Neil. I had a great time. Talk to you very soon. Take care. Bye. This has been the Working with India podcast produced by learningindia.in. Please subscribe to the show to get new updates as soon as they're released. And as always, don't do India alone.